0: Holy God, Almighty Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for Christ Jesus and sending the Holy Spirit to be with us. Open our eyes, open our mind, open our very soul to your word, to your love, to your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been working the last four weeks with this particular theme, He has not forsaken us. It is a good theme because we often do feel like we are on our own. In those times, we have some doubts, we have some despair. But Christ has not left us alone. He has promised us the Holy Spirit. And indeed, the Holy Spirit has come to us And we have seen that Jesus, in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, has worked for our salvation. See, it's the Holy Spirit who comes to you and convicts you of sin, who brings you to a new life, who has you to be born again. In the Holy Spirit, you are a new creation because you have faith in Christ Jesus. And then, there's sanctification. That God has called you He has set you apart. He has consecrated you. He has made you holy. And it is the power of the Holy Spirit who sanctifies you all for the glory of Christ Jesus. So you are saved. You are sanctified through the power of the Holy Spirit. But is that the end of the journey? Is that it? And the answer is no. There's much more to go because God not only saves, sanctifies He sends you out. He calls and sends you out. If you uh, recall, and and this might be a while because it's been four weeks now, in the Gospel of John, Jesus met his disciples and he said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So being sent and receiving the Holy Spirit go together. If you recall, so just kind of to help us get going here, we talked about this word sent. It is apostello in Greek, and that's where we get the word apostle. Apostle means the one who is sent. But when someone is sent in this manner, it means that the person who has the authority to send you is the one who sends you and also equips you for that mission or commission. So, God, the Holy Father, sent His Son, right? And the Son who suffered, died, rose for a and suffered and died for our sins and then rose again, has now called you and sent you the Holy Spirit who equips you because you have been sent. Does this make sense? So, it's the pattern that we see throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, the New Testament, God calls and sends and he equips those whom he calls. Because if you take a look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, nobody felt up to the task that God gave them. I don't feel up to the task that God gave me. So it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are equipped for that particular task, or we could say the work of ministry. And it says on the screen, doesn't God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. So the question for you today, the primary question is this. How have you been or how are you being equipped for works of ministry? See, it's a question that really doesn't get asked too much in the churches. It just doesn't. We kind of do church, but we forget to ask those important questions. So how have you been or how are you being equipped for work of ministry? Now it's an odd question and we normally don't think about that ourselves. We normally look up and see, well, the pastor is the one who's been equipped, right? I mean, after all, the pastor went to seminary, spent years studying, has all these books. You go in my office, I've got three computer monitors, I'm using them all. He's the one who's been equipped, right? And that's actually kind of the mindset. Or if not the pastor or maybe like the people who are singing, those are the ones who have been equipped. Or professional ministry, you get the idea, right? Right. Those people out there have been equipped, but not me. There's a really big problem. Actually, three main issues with that particular mindset. One, it makes the idea that ministry is only given to the professionals. That it downplays or outright denies the acceptance that you are equipped by the Holy Spirit. That's a big one. And it also then limits the vitality of the church, the body of Christ as a whole. If we think, actually, I want to go down there. Okay, I don't know if you'll see me. So, those people are equipped, not me. I'm the one sitting in the chair, right? I'm the one sitting in the chair, but I'm not equipped. That's the mindset of the church as a whole. But it really robs the church of the vitality. So today we're going to start start to go into spiritual gifts, and we're going to use Paul's letter to the Romans. It starts off this. Uh, all right, starts off this way. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Okay, so just starts that way in our reading. Having, differ, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Now, when we think of gifts, we think of it in two ways in general. The first way we think about a gift is that, you know, for, for birthday or anniversary or Christmas, we receive a gift. And that's what, what, what a gift is. We receive it from another person. But we also think of gifts in another way. So somebody could be naturally gifted in music. Or somebody could be naturally gifted in athletics. So we talk about a gift that they didn't earn, but they just have. So gifts in two ways. One, one is given and you didn't earn it. So now when we talk about spiritual gifts, we have to keep that in mind. So, in the Bible, Paul uses this word "gift" or "gifts," and it comes from this Greek word called "charisma." And you even know that word, right? Somebody has charisma. That—that's another way to say they are, they—they uh, they have that gift of being able to draw people together. Something like that, right? This word isn't used too much in the New Testament but you have to know that it's related to the word grace. In simple terms it means a divinely conferred conferred power or talent but it includes the sense of favor kindness, that which is freely given a gift of grace. See we have this whole thing about spiritual gifts that make them unapproachable. But when you think about it, that it is a gift of grace given to you, well, then, yeah, you would understand that. And if God has given you a gift of grace, you should use it, right? Don't put it in a safe place. How many of you have silverware or china that you inherited that you never used? Yeah, and sometimes you even forget you have it until you move, and you kind of go, oh, I forgot all about that. Or you don't bring it out because it's too good to use. Right? How many of you grew up with guest towels in the bathroom? Did you have those? And as a kid, you were told, don't use them. Those are for guests. So they were always out there, but you never used them. And here's the conundrum I have. Now, if I go to a person's home, I'm invited for whatever reason, and I use the restroom, and there are guest towels, I kind of go, I can't use them. I know I'm the guest, but they're not supposed to be used, right? You get the idea. But the Holy Spirit has given you greater gifts than silver or china or guest towels for the bathroom. They are gifts, and they are meant to be used. You know, even in the, in the Scripture reading today, it, that, that phrase, let us use them, it's in, in the reading, that phrase actually isn't even found in the original writing. But it's so implied, because with each and every gift that's given, it's almost like there's an exclamation point there. If service, serve! If teaching, teach! So the emphasis is on using the gifts, not just having them. And there's a difference between passive possession and active use. Passive possession versus active use. There's the old joke, you go to the doctor. Doctor says, do you exercise? Well, yeah, I I do. I have an exercise bike. She says, oh, that's great. How often do you use it? Well, every day. Really? Uh, tell me, tell me more. Well, yeah, it's a great place to hang up clothes when I go by the closet. I mean, I've got it, but I'm not using it for its intended use. So you, you understand the idea there. So we often stop with this question what gifts do you have? Versus are you using them? So the question is how are you using your gifts for ministry and building up the body of Christ? Not only how have you been equipped, but how are you using those particular gifts? If you want to think about it, you can talk about the, this in the terms of stewardship. And we covered this back in February that we are to be stewards of the gifts. See, we all have natural talents and spiritual gifts from God, and we are to be stewards of his gifts for his glory. Peter wrote this: As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Look at that phrase, the last part again: as stewards of God's varied grace. That's why gifts and grace are so tied together. Now it does not matter how big or how small your gifts are. You're supposed to be stewards of them. You're supposed to be put to put them to use. In the gospel reading there were three people that Jesus gave talents to. The first two put them to active use and he said, "Well done, good and faithful servant." look, if you want to hear those words, and i got to tell you, I want to hear those words. I would love to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. To hear those words is to be a steward of the gifts that God has given you and to use them. He also gives a big warning to those who don't use them. So that's the whole aspect, the sense of what gifts are. They are grace given to you and you are to use them. And and by the way, Jesus also said you have been faithful over a little. So it's not like you have to have this wonderful, powerful gift. Whatever you've been given, use them. So now with that, let's get to the gifts themselves. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who acts, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So there are actually seven different spiritual gifts that he lists there. So when you examine the list, you see that it's not all inclusive. Now in the, um, I'm going to have to put this online, I just realized. But uh, in the sermon, uh, behind the sermon notes, there's a sheet of paper and it lists all the spiritual gifts in the New Testament. So you can find out where they are and what they're called. Now when you take a look at the list that Paul wrote here, prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, Contributes leadership and mercy. You find that he doesn't list them all, does he? And the intent is not to list every single spiritual gift. Rather, the understanding is this the first is that the gifts that he lists are meant to be examples, not an exhaustive list. By the way, he doesn't even put them in any particular order. He simply lists them. He illustrates what the body of Christ have, the gifts of the Spirit that are given to the body of Christ. It's not a systematic approach. It's not fine level. He just says, you got this gift from the Holy Spirit, use it. And he wasn't trying to limit how it's applied. So teaching can be applied in multiple ways. Service can certainly be done in multiple ways. Mercy can be done in multiple ways. But what he's saying is that we are all given gifts for the sake of the body. And so the second point here is a wide variety of gifts is to be expected and appreciated. Look, just as we have a physical body, right? That we can't all be a hand, because if we were all a hand, we wouldn't be a body. We need all parts of the body to function, just as we here need all parts of the body of Christ to function. Now, I'm going to read an extended section here from 1 Corinthians. Sometimes the tendency is to want to just sit back and let me read. In this case, sit up. If you're at home right now, sit up straight, okay? Okay. all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So he goes on at length, right? Now intellectually, I know you get this, but the tendency is to do this. The tendency is to elevate some gifts and discount others. We elevate those people who are eloquent, who speak well. And the rest of us think we're the foot or the big toe. And you know what's really funny? I was talking to our church secretary, Kristen, about this. And we're talking about spiritual gifts. I said, yeah, how some people elevate it. And she said, yeah, and how other people think they're just a big toe. And I went, out of all the examples that you could have chosen, you went with big toe. So I'm going with it. Right? Now, the big toe is important, isn't it? What's, what does the big toe do? Balance is the big thing. Without the big toe, you can't balance well. The church needs a big toe as well. It needs people who provide balance to the church. Now, I know on your list, you will not find big toe listed as a spiritual gift. But you get the idea, you get the analogy. So let me give you an example of one that provides balance to the church. And it is the gift of spiritual discernment. Discernment. In general, that could be, it's similar to wisdom, it tells you what's a right path or a wrong path, what is beneficial or what could be harmful. And it's good for avoiding life's pitfalls, right? Just discernment in general. And I have to tell you that our nation lacks discernment right now. Amen. Amen. Many churches in America also lack discernment. And that's also why there is a lot there are a lot of issues in the church. So let's talk spiritual discernment for a moment. Spiritual discernment is the sound judgment which makes possible the distinguishing of good from evil and the recognition of God's right ways for his people. It's necessary for understanding spiritual realities. So what does Scripture have to say about spiritual discernment a lot? Let me just give you two Readings, one is from Hosea. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but the transgressors stumble in them. Philippians, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the days of Christ. Those with the gift of spiritual discernment must be grounded in God's Word. They are so familiar with God's Word that they can tell if something is against God's Word. They can just feel it in their bones, it is not right even if they can't quote the exact Scripture. So, we need to note and strongly note to the contrary, that discernment does not include mysticism, extra-biblical revelation, channeling from God, Channeling is where you sit and you're in a trance and you just write what you think God is saying. And as I've spoken out before, it also must include psychics, Ouija boards, tarot cards, and the like. There is a person uh, that I knew from uh, a company I worked at said she's a Christian and used tarot cards. Tarot cards have nothing to do with God. They are in the antithesis of uh, what God declares. So, people with spiritual discernment know God's will, not because it has come from the ether, but because they know his word. And they are able to test the spirits. So, in what does that mean? At the core, this is what it means in testing the spirits. 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. There are a lot of people who follow false teachers because they have no spiritual discernment. And the church has been led astray by these false teachers. We all must have. Actually, even if you don't have the full gift of the uh, of spiritual discernment, you are at least given some spiritual discernment. And the more you are in the Word, the more discernment you will have. I mean, Paul writes about this. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So how are we renewed in our mind? By His Word. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now the people with spiritual discernment are more mature in their faith. So Hebrews chapter says, chapter 5 says this, but solid food is for the mature. What does it mean by solid food? It doesn't mean little bits and pieces, things that just make you happy, but really the work of the Holy Spirit in you So you know what is right, what is wrong. And you deal with the hard stuff, not just the easy things. That's the mature food, that's the meat. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. So there's the aspect also of putting it into use, not just saying I have it, but active use trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, this sounds like it should be a wonderful spiritual gift, right? It should be like, wow, why wouldn't anybody not want spiritual discernment? But I have to tell you, in the greater body of Christ, spiritual discernment is often rejected And people with spiritual discernment who are saying this is not the will of God are called small-minded, narrow, bigoted, bigoted, backwards, and so on. All because they discern what is right versus what is wrong. I'll give you an, an example. There is a fellow in the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which is so far progressive, I do not consider it to be Christian. I don't say that with malice, I say it with fact. During one of their all-church meetings, they were having a, a, a resolution was brought to the fore that said, we cannot know that Jesus is the only way. There are, are and probably many ways to God. And one person raised his hand and said, we actually can know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, because he said so. And so he wanted to amend the resolution, and the resolution, his amendment was voted down. Where's discernment in that body? And I'm sure he wasn't viewed as as doing God's work. I'm sure he was viewed as being narrow, not progressive, or fill in the blank, however you want it. So, even though spiritual discernment is so necessary, it's often not appreciated. Okay. Here's the thing. When I was working on this, I hadn't planned really on writing so much about spiritual discernment. But I kind of felt led that way. And the fact is, I know that this can be a harder one for some of you because you kind of go, well, I don't know if I've got that. Right? So it's not as easy to relate to. But rather than trying to cram all of the other spiritual gifts in, right, and not do them justice, I want to come back to spiritual gifts. Next week is Pentecost. So... We're actually going to take a look at the work of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. Then we have Trinity Sunday. But the Sunday after that, uh, we're going to come back to spiritual gifts. So I would encourage you to take the sheet. Uh, They've got online assessments if you want some help thinking about your spiritual gifts. But as a body, it's important for us to all use them. What should we say? No more guest towels? I don't know. That doesn't quite sound right. But you, but you get the sense of that. So let's apply this. I mean, you know, actually, there's a picture of the a wide variety of spiritual gifts, uh, all glorifying Christ Jesus. By the way. So, the Holy Spirit has gifted and equipped you for the sake of ministry, whether you know it or not, of the service to the body of Christ. So, your work to do here is to answer two questions. How have you been or how are you being equipped for the works of ministry? And how are you using his gifts for his glory? Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for saving, for sanctifying, for equipping us and for the saving for for the conviction of sin so that we do turn to Christ. Work in each of our hearts this day, this week, so that we understand the fullness of what you have given us and so that we can use it to your glory so that we too may hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant."